0: So, I love weddings. I love going to weddings. I actually was participating in one myself. I just recently got married a year ago. But I love going to weddings. And one of my favorite parts, it's what happens, is it's done the processional, I guess you could call it. It's like when the groomsmen and the bridesmaid pair up and they walk down the aisle. The groom is standing here, usually like this, kind of anticipating his bride. I had that same feeling and... Everyone's watching the bridesmen and the groomsmen walk down one after another, and eventually the moment kind of pauses. The music changes. And then everyone knows the bride is about to come down. And The doors open, people stand up, they all turn and face the back of the room to see the bride in her dress looking so stunningly beautiful, and they're smiling, they're looking at her and her reaction, and even, you know, our Mrs. Abby Lopez just got recently married, let's give it up for her, and Joseph, that was an amazing wedding. Everyone stood up at that wedding and looked at Abby. I did not, sorry Abby. However, my favorite part of the wedding is looking at the groom. Because I love watching the groom cry. <laughs> and thank you, Mr. Lopez, our worship director, for giving me a show. And actually, the, direct, uh, the, the groomsmen themselves, actually, each one of them, if you were there at the wedding, gave Joseph a tissue every time they came up, and he needed every single one. But it was beautiful because he was crying and weeping out of so much emotion because he loves Abby. So a year ago, on August 4th, almost said August 8th, that would not really awkward, it's August 4th is my wedding day. I stood up there, and I saw my beautiful bride come down to me. But I stood there, I shed a couple of tears, but I stood strong because I already cried. Because we decided to do a first look. And a first look is just myself and Candace, our videographer, our photographer, to catch, capture the moments, and our coordinator to make sure everything went, went smoothly. But I was up there in the prayer chapel at the church that we got married at, and I was just staying in anticipation, like I, I was just ready. I wanted, to, I wanted to see her. I wanted to see her so badly. What she looked like, and how well everything was working out. And soon, finally, they said, "Evan, you may turn around and see your bride." And I eventually, got to see this. I mean, look at her. I mean, that hair, that dress, that smile is beautiful. But it's not. Her looks are just beautiful. It's her heart as well. And up to that point, for almost two years, I I sought to understand who this woman was. And not only did I fall in love with just her looks, but I fell in love with her heart. I understood how truly beautiful her heart was. How much she loved God. How much she loved her family. How how compassionate she was. Gentle she was. How much she loved me. And so naturally. I had the correct reaction. I had the proper reaction of, you can say, praise towards her. I stood there and wept. I actually did the whole like shoulder shrug too. I was out of control. And here's a little fun fact every time I show this picture to most, again, most, that's not every, but most females, gals, ladies in the room. They usually have that reaction of, oh, that's so sweet. How precious, how much you love her. And most guys I show this, and I guess it's just the immaturity of males, every guy I show this to is like, Evan, you look like you use the bathroom. <laughs> like either number one or number two, doesn't regardless. It looks like I have to use the banyo. But this reaction, this reaction only came about Genuinely, because I sought to understand who Candace was. So, True North, if you do not seek to understand who God is and what he has done, your praise and your worship will be hollow, reflecting a hollow faith that can be easily crushed by the world's schemes. Whatever the world tosses out at you, a trial, a hard time, a temptation, You'll be easily crushed if you do not have a proper understanding of who God is and what He has done for you. Just like me on my wedding day, if I was up there on the altar, standing, actually, I was facing this way, standing next to Candice, standing in front of Candice and saying, I love you, I'm saying my vows to her, vowing to love her that as long as I live and to say I do, if I did not properly understand and seek to understand who she was, those words would be hollow in my marriage would be easily crushed by any scheme of this world. So, as I properly, you can say, praised my wife, we need to praise God. So True North, praise God with all your strength because of who he is and what he has done. In Psalm 150, it's the culmination of all the Psalms, like the summation of all the Psalms that we've been going through, all 149 prior to that. So turn with me to Psalm 150 as we study, as we see what God or this author has to say about praising God. And before we read, and it's on page 526 of most Bibles, we don't know who the author of this Psalm is. It could be David. We can assume it to be David, but it doesn't really matter in this situation. It's just a summation of all the Psalms and what we're called to do. And just a clarifying point, if you see the word Lord and all the letters are capitalized, like in the first line, praise the Lord, that word Lord is the proper name of God, Yahweh. So as I read, when I say Yahweh, it's because L-O-R-D are all capitalized. So follow along with me as we read out of God's word praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. This is a simple six-verse psalm that has a lot to say. The first thing it has to say is that we, in order to properly praise God, we need to understand Him more. Verse 2, praise Him for His mighty deeds. The psalmist is telling us to remember the mighty deeds of God. And for this psalmist, regardless if it's David or not, in the Jewish mind, there was a great deed that they always remembered. That God introduces himself. I am the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, the God who brought you out of Egypt. That is the great deed. The salvation of Israel is in the mind of the psalmist, remembering the salvation, the salvation of God. And then it says, according to his excellent greatness, the psalmist is emphasizing the character of who God is and how great he is. Both the deed and the greatness point back to a, another song say, song excuse me, a song in Exodus 15:11. In that passage, Moses and Israel sing a song talking about how great is our God, his mighty deeds, how great is He, greater than any other gods. And what happened verses just before that moment was that the Red Sea collapsed on the Egyptian army as they were being chased. So, Moses and Israel in that moment, and what the psalmist is remembering, the greatness of God, especially in the moment when God saved them from slavery in Egypt. He's thinking, think of the greatness of God. Because the ten, so they thought of the ten plagues, they thought of the Red Sea, they thought of the pillar of fire, they thought of everything in that moment. But again, there just weren't ten random plagues. The greatness of God was shown in those ten plagues. I mean, obviously, if you're able to summon hailstorms of fire from the sky, that's great. However, each plague, it was a challenge from God to the Egyptian gods. Each plague was challenging a God that didn't really exist, but was God saying, look how great I am. Your Egyptian God is nothing before me. I destroy those gods. And so the psalmist is here in Psalm 150, helping us to remember those. So the question is, do you know the deeds of God in the Bible? Not just in your life. Do you even stay, uh, know the deeds of God in the Scriptures? Do you know what He has done, what He could do in your life, what He is going to do in the future? We can only know that if we are in His Word. And then, how do we know who God is? We have people leaving the faith because they can't comprehend who God is because they probably they weren't studying who God was and saying that God describing who He is and said. We might be painting a picture of what we think God is and what God should be, but instead we need to understand who God is, and that's what the psalmist is challenging us, to do, challenging us to do. Because the psalmist is so passionate to praise God because he took the time to learn about his greatness. and He took the time because he had a desire to know who God is and what he has done. So true north, we need to work to increase your appreciation of God. God that's your first point work to increase your appreciation of God. In order to do that you actually have to read you actually have to understand there are things that you like that I don't understand. Not all of you in this room like this, but I would say I would say some if not maybe most, I don't know. But if this brings joy to your heart, I don't understand I don't understand so many of your passion and your zeal for the high school musical series. Where at STM Utah, you made the point to go to a, high, a random high school in Utah. I had to ask Pastor Roddick, why did you go there? Like, oh, that's where they filmed high school musical. I'm like, why? <laughs> See, I grew up with, uh, with uh, great movies. Like, when I was 11, Lord of the Rings came out, and I was willing to wait you know, watch three hours of pure cinematic gold uh, for three movies. And you, many of you are passionate about song and dance in a high school in Utah. I don't appreciate it like you do because you watched the movie. You watched it over and over. You memorized the dances. You memorized the songs. I probably would grow to appreciate the movie if I actually watched the movie. I have never watched any of the high school musicals ever. I appreciate some of your clapping. I probably will not watch them. However, I can be swayed potentially. But the point I'm trying to drive is that you appreciate it because you have watched it over and over. So how can you work to increase your appreciation of God? Here's some rocket science for y'all. Firstly, you can read your Bible. Wow, right? Pastor Rod, wow. But no, seriously, reading your Bible will help you appreciate God. But it's not just reading the Bible, it's how you do it. Because if you read the Bible, the Bible promises is that blessed is he, blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed is he who meditates it, meditates on it day and night. Because if you do that, you're blessed because you are like a tree planted by water, bearing strong fruit. That's what the Bible promises. If you not only read the Bible, you meditate on it. But how do you do that? What's well, a practical way. Firstly, you have to pray. You have to pray for insight. Before you open your book, before you begin to pray, uh, to read, you have to pray. Because if you don't, if we don't pray before we read, we're prideful. Now walk through me. If you and I think we can understand his word without him, that is pride. If all of us gather together to read his book on our own without him, we are all prideful and we will not understand. Because Psalm 119 promises, he the the David prays that for God to open his eyes so that he may behold the wondrous things out of his law. So we have to humble ourselves saying, I don't know. I need God to help understand these words. So how do you grow in appreciation? You read the Bible. Before you read, you have to pray to ask God for insight. But in order to grow your appreciation, you actually have to read it Daily, day and night. That's what the psalmist in Psalm 1, which I quoted earlier, talks about it. So are you reading it daily? True North, we have on the Bible app a DBR group that you can be a part of. DBR meaning daily daily Bible reading. We read through the Bible in a year. Are you doing that with us? Are you reading the Bible at all daily? If not, why not? What is hindering you? Block out the time. I personally, there is no mandate of when to read it, I personally love reading in the morning. My wife and I, we try to get up at 5, so we hit snooze, we get up at 5.30. But we get up at 5.30, why? So that we have time, not just to read it for reading its sake, but to read and meditate it and shoot to ask God and say, what do you want me to know in your word? Fix my mind to understand. And I love the, we love the mornings because it's undistracted. Everyone else is asleep. We have no distractions. There's no pressure for us. So that's why we wake up at such an early hour. But when you read the Bible, you have to make sure you have to meditate on it. You have to wrestle with it. Journal it down. Pray over it. Try to understand. You can use commentaries. And that's another way you can grow your appreciation is seeking godly counsel. You have small group leaders. Actually, you will have small group leaders, especially if you register for small groups. Shameless plug. But you can ask your small group leader, saying, hey, I don't understand. The book of Isaiah is hard. It is confusing. Can you help me understand it? You have a high school director. You have a pastor who will be glad to help you understand the word better. There's books. There's commentaries. There's YouTube videos that can help you ask us so that we can help you better understand God's word. Because with that, you'll grow to appreciate who God is and but it takes time, it takes discipline, it takes effort and energy, and that's why we have to work at it. Because when we're studying the Bible, we're not just studying the, the just the Bible itself. We're trying to understand a couple things. One, like the psalmist challenges us, we need to understand who God is, his greatness. If you, if you meditate, you can understand a couple of aspects of God. Like one, he's our creator. I'll just throw out some passages at you: Genesis 1:1, Isaiah 40:28. Colossians 1, 15, 17. Romans 1, 25. And many, many more talk about God being our creator. Because if we think about God being our creator, we can stop thinking about creation. Just think about nature, creation, the outdoors, the mountains, the trees, the ocean that's right here. Some of you love to surf. Think about the waves you're trying to surf on and how beautifully complicated the creation is. But think about even the people in this room. Think about yourself and how complicated you are. The nervous system, everything about you, the cells, everything that makes up your eyeballs, your hair, your heart. God created that. And if we stop to think about God being our creator and how complex and wonderfully made that we are, we should be driven to awe. Driven to awe that God would create at all. And as we think about the God as a creator we can think about how holy God is passages like 1 Peter 1 14 through 16 Isaiah 6 revelation 4:8 and one of my favorites Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 and 38 the holiness of God if we stop to think about the holiness of God we can understand how such separation there is between God and us how holy how that I means perfect unique God is. how powerful he is. Then Exodus 34, when Israel obeys God, creates this tent called a tabernacle to perfection. The presence of God dwells within it. It comes in and it dwells in the entire tabernacle, which is a cool moment. But God's chosen person, his messenger, Moses, God is so holy that the person that he chose, Moses, cannot enter into it. And then God gave him the book of Leviticus to help them for one person at one point of the year to be able to stand in the presence of God because that's how holy he is. And if we understand how holy he is, it would be drive us not to just to awe but also fear, a healthy fear. Realizing every one of us does not stand up to the to our holy creator. Not just that he's holy. If we study enough, we, we learn that he is a just God. Isaiah 61.8 Deuteronomy 32.4, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-9, Revelation 20, 12-13. We see the justice of God. We want justice. We, we do. We desire justice. But that shooter at El Paso, we want justice. We, we, I'm glad that he's alive so he can face the penalty for murdering those people. But when the crime is on us, we beg for mercy, a mercy that we do not deserve. But we study in the scriptures that God is a God of justice. He shows no partiality. He will give every one of us our due. The bill has to be paid. But we understand if we study the scriptures that God is love. 1 John 4.8, John 3.16, Romans 5.8, Psalm 86.15, and many more talk about the love of God that while we were enemies, we were disobeying him. We were unholy. We choo- chose to sin. He loved us so much that he came down and died on a cross in our place. That is love right there. That even though we don't deserve it, he gives it to us. And understanding his greatness and we understand his deeds. For the psalmist, it was the, the salvation of sla- from slavery in Egypt. For us, we can think about and look back to the cross. Our salvation from the slavery of our sin. We were slaves to sin if we are in God. We were slaves. We couldn't help but choose sin. But God died on the cross. So there's an opportunity of salvation. Because if you work to increase your appreciation of God, one thing will happen. You'll grow to learn to have faith in God And faith alone saves. And faith will be followed up by repentance. Because if we understand who God is, how holy and just he is, but how loving he is, we would reject our sin. We would run away from our sin. We would say, I do not want my sin and myself and my desires anymore. I surrender all of that. I'm turning to God and trusting in him on the cross for my salvation instead. I'm trusting in his love for me to be saved. Not by my own works, but in him alone. But as Christians, we still need to daily appreciate who God is. Because if we do, this can happen. This is a quote from John Piper. It says, if, he says, if we saw the greatness of God, we would not be so greedy and covetous. If we saw the greatness of God, our eyes wouldn't stray after lustful images and thoughts. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get angry at our siblings and parents so easily. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't pout and get hurt so easily in our relationships. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't worry about our looks so much. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't spend time watching mindless and sore defiling videos. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't give in to our appetite and overeat and boredom and depression. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get so discouraged with evil and godlessness in our culture. If we saw the greatness of God, we get to have hope. And not only that, we would want to fight sin. So the understanding of the greatness of God can let the Holy Spirit to drive us to properly respond into action. And the action is described in verse 3 in f- three through 5 in Psalm 150. It says to, say to praise Him with trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp. The psalmist is showing us that our voices, singing praises to God, is not good enough. We need to bring everything in. We need to bring the, we need to bring the, the trumpets. We need to bring lute. We need, we need the drums. We need the, we need the guitars. We need the piano. We need everything that we have to praise God because he deserves all of it. Verse 4, praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Tambourine and dance. It's the full expression of human energy and devotion. It's giving everything, not just your voices, but your whole being. Praising with sounding cymbals, praising with loud clashing cymbals. See, cymbals can either be beautiful to some ears because they understand what song they're being applied to, but some might hate cymbals because they just hear the noisiness. And what the psalm is saying is that we need to bring the cymbals out. We need to make the loudest noise possible, for God is so great. So true north, we need to bring our full expression in praising our God. How loudly are you praising God? How loudly, just as a challenge, how loudly are you going to be singing in worship because you understand of who he is and what he has done? How loudly are you going to sing? How loudly are you going to live out your life? The psalmist is challenging the worshiper in that moment, and he's challenging us now to give it our all when we praise God. So we need to tenaciously praise God with your whole life. Point number two, tenaciously praise God with your whole life. I heard a sports commentator once say that fan is short for fanatic. And there's some fan bases out there in the sports realm, maybe some of your schools that may be more fanatic or more tenacious in their cheering. I know Capo last year was very tenacious in their school spirit. A couple years ago, San Clemente was very tenacious in their school spirit. But there's some NFL teams that have very tenacious fans. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles, their fans are known for being very tenacious in their love for their team. The actually true, true story, they actually booed Santa Claus one time at a game. The Cleveland Browns, the team that has just barely wins, they fans tenaciously cheer their team on and hope. But there's one fan base, if you know football well, that their fans are a little more tenacious in their worship of their team. The Oakland Raiders, they actually have a section called the black hole where they hope to suck out life and joy in all the stadiums so that the other team will fear, but they are tenacious. I mean, look at the dress. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, I would not recommend Googling it because there's like a lot of skulls and death, but their tenacity to root for their team is well known throughout the professional football world. Those, Those guys, they probably, all they talk about is Raider football. How they live is probably Raider football. They probably have a shrine in their home for Raider football. So how does it look like in our Christian walks? The other one is really scary, so I had to skip it. <laughs> what does it look like in a Christian walk? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. The book of Hebrews is roughly on page, whoopsies, that's a, There we go. Page 110, 1010, excuse me, 1010. What does this look like in the Christian walk? Verse 15. Through him who is Christ, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, what is it? The fruit of our lips to acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what does it look like in a Christian walk? Firstly, it starts with the fruit of your lips, your words. You can worship God through your words. And it's more than just a song. Yes, we can praise God with all of our life through our the way we sing. I mean, the Bible Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise I shall continually, and praise shall be continually in my mouth. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So how we sing is a way we can worship God. Again, we're not in here frozen, but instead we're given life through what God has done in our lives through the cross. But another way we can Worship God is through our words is with thankfulness. How thankful are you? How thankful in your life are you? This is my third time up here, and I'll say it again. Are you thankful for the common grace that God has given you? You're all in this room wearing clothes. All of you have eaten meals. All of you are going to school. School is a good thing and a blessing from God. Are you thankful? Are you one that complains to what you get? We can also tenaciously praise God. What we talk about, like those Raider fans, they talk about Raider football. Are we talking about God, or are we saying the same jokes? What are we joking about? What are we laughing at? Are we complaining and grumbling? Our parents, the chores that they give us, the teachers—soon, or some of you that are in school right now, or for the teachers, for some of you who will—are you complaining of all the homework and quizzes they're giving you? For, you, for those who play sports, are you complaining about your coaches? For those who do plays, are you complaining about their those teachers? Are you complaining and grumbling? Are you carrying on with the complaining and grumbling when Christ says, do everything without complaining and grumbling? What are you talking about? Are your words the same as your non-Christian friends? Or are they different because Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is, as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that may give grace to those who hear. What are you talking about? What words? Are you worshiping God with your words or are you not? We can worship God with our whole life, with our words through evangelism and how we pray. Jot down 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. This is the summation of how we can worship God with our whole life through our words. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and me. The will of God is to worship God their whole life, including through our words. But it's not just words, just like those Raider fans. They live their fandom out in a very creepy way. It's kind of terrifying. But we can stand out in a non-creepy way. We can worship God with our whole life with our deeds and sacrifice. Like it says in Hebrews 13, it says, Do not not to to neglect to do good, but to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Because God wants a visible, lived-out bodily evidence that our lives are built on his mercy. And that's from John Piper once again. God wants a visible, lived-out, bodily evidence that our lives are built on his mercy. So it includes how we live, how we act, how we live. Are you a living sacrifice? Like living sacrifice. Are you conformed to this world? Are you standing out against it? You can live a whole life worship, praising God by your obedience. Because many of you would say, I'm a Christian. Many of you say, I got saved at this revival. But John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will do my commandments. So a true Christian, we want to be not only obedient, we would want to be obedient. But how can we be obedient if we're not studying the Word? If we're not studying the Word, we don't know the commands of Scripture, so therefore we cannot be obedient. So be obedient because you are of God. We can worship our God with our whole life, praising God through our serving. Pastor Mark just preached on 1 Peter 4, 10 and, 10 and 11. Each one of you has received a gift, so use it to serve one another. As good, as good stewards of God's very grace. Some of you are, all of you are gifted. Not some of you, all of you are gifted differently than others. The whole body has to work in order for the body to function and work. Pastor Martin talked about a gymnast. A, gym, a gymnast's whole body has to work perfectly in order for them to do their jump. Some of you are gifted musically. Some of you can sing, I cannot sing, so I will never be up here singing, but some of you can. So sing for the Lord. Some of you can play instruments. Some of you, I can see you post it on social media. You can play guitar. You can play bass. You can play drums. to so play for the Lord. Some of you are gifted athletically. Are you playing for your praise on the field or on the court? Are you, are you playing for God's glory? And it's more than just pointing to the sky. It's living it out even when the ref makes a bad call or your coach yells at you. Some of you are gifted academically. Are you doing school for the glory of God? Are you doing it purely for yourself? Not going to schools like Harvard or Cornell are good things, but are you doing it for God's glory or for yourself? You can praise God with your whole life, how you serve, how you obey, how you live, and how you give. Are you giving? Are you sacrificing your money? Let's, are you giving to this church? Are you giving the 2020? More than that, are you giving for your friends? Are you saying, hey, you know, I'll buy you lunch. I'll cover that coffee so that I can help you build up in this Christian walk. I can share the gospel or I can build you up in your faith. Are you sacrificing your time, your money, your energy for others? That's what a Christian is supposed to do. And as a result, if we've tenaciously praise God with our whole life, as a result... If we are Christians, our light will shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16 will be lived out. If you truly praise God your whole life, you will stand out as a Christian. you look differently. You'll play sports differently. You're about to go to school. You'll be doing school differently you'll stand out as light in this crooked generation because if you are just conformed, just like everyone else that is not a Christian, 1 John 2.15 has some strong words for you. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, there's a difference between I'm a Christian, there there's will be days where you won't feel like worshiping, but you know you have to, and you have to wait upon the Lord. That's different. But for those who are like, I'd rather just be like the people around me. First John, Scripture might be saying that he, you might not be saved. And I want you saved. I want every one of you saved, but you actually have to live out Scripture You actually have to sacrifice what your wants for what Christ wants for you. And you have to realize, not only God is in charge, but He is better than you. And He wants the best for you. Even though in our minds we want to fight Him all the whole way. So sacrifice what you want. And put on what Christ wants. Tenaciously praise Him with your whole life. Because if we are fully sold out for living for Christ, we will stand out in this world. It will be easy to stand out from the people around us. And as a result, if we're living for Christ, we want to be ambitious. Like the psalmist in verse one and verse six is very ambitious. In verse one, the psalmist, the the author's ambition is to see the whole mighty heavens praise the Lord. Their ambition is that everyone praise the Lord in his sanctuary. It could be a reference to the temple. You know, we should want everyone in South Orange County in our area be praised in the lord in the walls of these church of this church excuse me we want to see we should want to see that and the psalmist goes even further he is wanting that let everything that has breath praise praise the lord praise yahweh essentially he is calling everyone from everywhere to praise god true north that's what i want do you want that do, are you even praising the lord Do you want others to worship the Lord beside you? Because we need to ambitiously seek to see others saved. That's point number three, ambitiously seek to see others saved. Ambition is what drives dynasties in this culture. Success, ambition. Like this gentleman, who knows who that is? Raise your hand if you know who that is. One of you. Two of you. That is John Williams. Does that help? No. Raise your hand if you know Star Wars. Yes. Raise your hand if you know the movie Jaws, or Indiana Jones, or Harry Potter. You listen to his music. This is, my opinion, is the greatest composer of all time. He is so good. He also Jurassic Park composed that too. E.T. composed that too. He, I think, is like one of the... It's not the top because Walt Disney has the most Oscar nominations. He has over 40, 0 Oscar nominations for the music that he has composed because he's ambitious. He pushes himself to go further. Now, who knows who this person is? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of us, the rest of us in this room, well, some of you might, I don't know who that is. Some of us are like, Boo. This is probably the most ambitious NFL athlete that I know of in my lifetime, at least. That is Tom Brady. He's the quarterback of the New England Patriots. That man has dedicated. He is so ambitious to winning games that he's devoted his entire life. How he eats. He doesn't during season. He doesn't eat flour. He doesn't drink alcohol. He is so strict on his diet, he works out. That guy, I think he's like 42 years old, and he's still playing in the NFL. And not only that, his ambition has driven him and his team, and the whole team is ambitious, the coach, everyone, that they have been to more Super Bowls than anyone as a group. They've been to eight championship games. And not only gone to them, they've won six Super Bowl championships in the professional football league because they're ambitious And what about this guy? Who knows who this guy is? (laughs) At least everyone knows who that is. (laughs) This is Ninja! He is ambitious. He is, I think currently still the greatest Fortnite player of all time. He's Minecraft. Well he's this Fortnite. But he is ambitious to win. And he makes way too much money doing it. But no, his ambition drives him to be the best. So we need to be ambitious as well. So what is ambition? How, how can we start? Being ambitious is going beyond where you're currently at. For Tom Brady and the Patriots, they won no Super Bowls. Until 2001, they finally won their first one, and they kept winning and winning and winning. But they had to start somewhere. So if you are not ambitious to see others saved, and you are a Christian, and I'm not not evangelizing, start somewhere. Be ambitious by starting somewhere. I challenged SDMOC, and I'm challenging you all in this room who are believers. Two people. Two people. If you're not doing anything, challenge yourself to two people for this school year, through July, to tenaciously pursue them for Christ, to evangelize, to sacrifice your time, your effort, and your money to see them saved. And if you are already tenacious, you're already reaching more than two, be ambitious to go further. And not only that, if you're already sharing your faith, always bring someone alongside of you. Teach them. Help them to be ambitious. Go with them. In order to be ambitious, you have to think bigger. You have to think differently. Most of us in this room, I'm going to school as well. I had a different reaction. I'm actually happy to go back to school. But most of us, and I was the same in your age, I dreaded the school year. I actually had a love-hate relationship with the month of August because I was watching TV. Back-to-school ads would pop up and make me sad because my summer is over and I can't go to the beach as much. And every time I see a back-to-school ad, even as a 29-year-old adult, it still makes me sad because it brings back horrible memories from my childhood. But if we think differently, if we are ambitious, we can see school as an opportunity. That is a map of all the high schools in South Orange County right here. That is 12 public schools, six private schools, and homeschoolers in this room, you're you're all over the map. In a couple of charter schools. But the high school population, True North, if we want to be an ambitious ministry to see others saved, let's be ambitious. There's 32, actually over 32,000 high school students. Think about that. 32,000. Maybe in True North we have a max of 250. That's 0.6% of the total population of the schools out there. And if we add in all the other biblically-minded churches that partner with us, maybe 1%, 2%, 3% max of the student population, let's be ambitious. Let's think bigger. Let's not dread school. Let's see the school as an opportunity for the mission field. Because if you go to school full-time, if you play a sport, you're at school at least, I think it's at six to eight hours potentially, and you're required by the state of California to attend 180 days of school. So you can see 1,400 to 1,600 hours of school as a dread, like I have to go to math class, I have to go to basketball practice, I have to suffer, or you can have an ambitious mindset saying, I have 1,400 to 1,600 hours of mission work. Yes, I will do my math homework. I will learn English. I will learn science. I will do math to the best of my ability. Why? Because I want to glorify my God. But also, I want to seek others saved. So I have 1,600 hours, and hopefully more, to see people saved on the high school campuses. And that's why we're doing the campus clubs. Not so that we can look good, because we want to see people saved. We want to see people worshiping God with us. So in order to be ambitious, go beyond where you're currently at. Start somewhere. Think differently. But also to be ambitious, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to go places where you feel uncomfortable. I bet the New England Patriot players and the coaches, I bet, you know, there's some days they don't want to show up to the facility at three, no, or, or sorry, four or five, six o'clock in the morning to study film, to go to practice, to beat their you know bodies up. But they want to win more championships. They want to win one more and one more after that. How much more than that? Should we try to get uncomfortable? Because we're not trying to win the Super Bowl. We're trying to do something greater, something more impossible. We're trying to see people saved. But here's a promise from God. If you are a Christian, Luke chapter 12 says, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. I mean, Ideally, if you're a Christian, you are already studying the Bible, so you already know what to say. But it says, but in that moment for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what ought to say. So when you know that person you need to talk to, maybe it's a teacher, or maybe it's a fellow student. Maybe it's that very argumentative one, that very academically minded person. Or maybe it's the bully that you need to talk to about Christ. Know that the Holy Spirit in that moment, if you are faithful to just open your mouth and now the vibrations of your mouth come out of your mouth and use your mouth and lips to enunciate words about the gospel, know that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And that some person could be saved in that moment. So go, and don't go alone. Most of you go to school in this room with other people. Go as a team, go together. And there are other believers at other churches that go to your schools. Push them, challenge them, and work with them. Build them up so that you even have more people trying to see people saved. And talk to people that make you, make you feel uncomfortable. Talk to the person sitting alone at lunch. Don't pass by them. Know how awkward they might look or might feel or how your reputation talked to them. I want True North to be a ministry that every time you see a student, you walk up to them. You get to know them. You ask their name. You get their number. You invite them here. You invite them to the small groups, and you share the gospel with them because you care about every person. Let's start with the people at your schools that you're about to walk up to. They're sitting alone. Go together and be friendly. Love them. And in, in order to be ambitious, you have to be trained. Reach out to your leaders. Don't like not text them. Actually text them. Reach out to them first. I've been a leader for six years. I had plenty of students who are all text and crickets. You guys ghost me sometimes. Don't ghost your leaders. Be the first ones to actually reach out. Ask them to push you to keep you accountable and actually care. In order to be ambitious, you need to know this truth, that you're going to win. Know that God will win worshipers from all nations. Psalm 86, 9. All the nations that you, God, have made shall come and worship before you, O Yahweh, and shall glorify your name. The Great Commission will not, cannot fail. See, so either you can be an active participant or a person on the sidelines. Be an active participant True north. Let's be ambitious as a ministry to see people saved. Because we know we cannot fail. No matter how many people reject us, we know people can be saved. Because with man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. God is asking us to do an impossible task. He's asking us to raise people from the dead. Not physically, but spiritually. If you're not a Christian, you are spiritually dead. You need God to wake you up. If you are a Christian, you need a God to raise you from the dead. Now he's asking us, now go out. There's spiritually dead people all around you, walking zombies, walking dead. Now go and speak life into him. Let the Holy Spirit do that because, again, with man, we cannot save someone. We are just faithful instruments of his message. But with God, it is possible. Because why? Because Christ raised from the dead. He himself raised physically from the dead. Therefore, God can raise anyone who is dead to life. So go in confidence, Knowing that God can raise the person you are talking to, no matter who they are, God can raise them. So be ambitious. Because it's what God wants and what he deserves. To be ambitious, you have to go do it. Inside these walls and outside. Even inside these walls, not all of you in this room are saved. I want you saved. Start and go outside these walls. There's plenty of lost people out there. Go Get them, True North. I'll be there with you, literally on the campus. Go get them. But who can you get? You can get your family. This Maybe family members of yours who aren't saved. At school, there's going to be plenty of friends that you know who aren't saved. Teammates, classmates, peers. Go get them. And get the strangers that you meet. But how? How can you start? Start with prayer. You know you can't do it. You have to ask God who can, so pray. Be specific. Write down their names. Be faithful to pray every day for those names and see them saved. I have a list of my own, a close friend, close friends from high school, specific neighbors. I pray for them every day to hopefully see them saved. That's how you can start. But also you can pray for a changed heart because our heart naturally is wicked and against God. Our heart is naturally lazy. Our heart doesn't want to speak up. But pray for a changed heart. Pray that you could have a heart like God, that you know what, God help me to prioritize it. And you need to pray for a heart and eyes that see people as Christ does. No matter how bold they are in their sin, no matter how prideful they are, see them as God sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Lost. No matter how bold and proud they are and how confident they may seem, they are lost sheep without a shepherd. You need to have a heart that sees them. You need eyes that see them. So pray for that. And you need to pray for understanding of the biblical truth of the lost because the lost are not saved. If you are lost and you're not saved, there's only one destination of hell waiting for you. I don't want that. And you need to pray that you don't want that for others so that you can be even more ambitious to seek others, to see them saved. But as you pray for a heart that sees people as Christ, as if you're a Christian, you also need to remember, how, no matter how angry you get at their sin, you need to remember a couple things. One, as were some of you. You were just as lost as they, as they were, so that you can have compassion for them and empathy for them. Not loving their sin, but actually having compassion, knowing that they're lost. And two, the second thing you remember, if you are a Christian and you're trying to share, God changed you. He can change them as well. So that is how you can have more confidence in your ambition. And lastly, to be more ambitious, you just have to take the opportunities that are given. You pray for opportunities, but they will come, and you have to take it. Like a running back in football, he's given the ball. He's waiting for the opportunity to run. He's waiting for his, the big boys up front, his offensive line to push the defenders out of the way so that he can run across the field and score the touchdown for his team. But he practices and practices as he's ready in and out of season. He's prepared. Like we need to be prepared that we're studying the word so that we know who God is, so that we can share who God is and what he's done to others. Because when he has the ball and he sees the opening, he doesn't hesitate because those who hesitate get demolished by the defense. But the ones who run, run hard and not in fear about getting hit. So true north, take the opportunity. The ball is in your hands Run, take the opportunity to share, no matter how uncomfortable it might feel or I might be or who I might be with. Do not hesitate. Take those opportunities to be ambitious. And again, remember God is asking you to do the impossible so that he can do it. He can raise life, death to life. So let's finish this race. Let's finish our mission. Let's testify the gospel to anyone in our lifetime, but has to start first with our understanding of God. I wept bitterly when I saw my bride, uncontrollably. I was trying to find the video. I didn't find it in time to show you. I was lost control because I sought to understand who she is. And not only I grew to appreciate her, I grew to love her. So my, rea- my reaction was natural but I sought to understand her, so I tenaciously pursued her. And not in the weird, creepy way, but in a way that I want to be your husband. I want to be yours because of who you are. I am in love. You can ask yourself, I tenaciously pursued her because I was ambitiously desiring to be her one and only husband. As the summer ends, as a school year begins, think differently about school true North. Think differently, truly desire to see your peers and the people around you saved so that they can worship God next to you in this room. Let's pack out this room for God because you are living out your faith through the Spirit harder than you've ever done before, but only because you have studied God harder than you ever done before. So be ready, True North. Be ready to praise God with all your strength because of who He is and what He has done. We're going to take this opportunity now to worship. We're going to sing a few songs. Again, singing is a way to worship, not the only way to worship Worship with your whole life. But I challenge you, True North, I'll be up here with you without the microphone. I will be singing. Fun fact, I'm not good at it. Another fun fact, in the eighth grade, my teacher gave me an A in my French class not to sing. I was that bad. But I don't care what she thinks. I don't care what you think. I will be praising God. I will be singing as loudly as I can because he saved me and he wants a relationship with me. So I challenge you all. Don't care about the person next to you, or front and behind. Don't think about the friends. Think about you standing before God. Think about who he is be in awe and fear of him, but being in love because he loves you first and that he died in your place for all the sin that you've committed in your heart and your mind and your actions. Think about God and sing as loud as you can right now. So I'm gonna pray for us right now and let's sing these three songs like we never sang before. Please bow your heads.